Blog Talk Radio. That time again, first Monday of every month, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You know what time it is. It's time for Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students and our Educators Panel. This is Dr. Ross Green, as always, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in beautiful Portland, Maine. We are looking forward to spring here in beautiful Portland, Maine, because we would like the snow to melt, but it is still beautiful here in Portland, Maine, though cold. We have two of our educators panel members with us already, and I got a feeling this is Mr. Ambrose. Is that you, Mr. Ambrose? That is correct. How are you? I am well, thank you. How are you? Very good. And I know that we will not have Nina D'Aaron on the call with us today, but we have a special treat that I'll talk about in a second. Now, this is area code 6 or 4, and I do not know if this is Carol or Susan. Who we got here? It's Carol, and Susan has asked me to let you know that she can't make it today as some things have popped up as it's the middle of our workday. Got it. Well, tell <laughs> Susan we missed her. Um, I shall. We do have... We do have a spe- thanks, but but I'm glad you're with us. We are also going to have with us the staff from Mallet. Well, this is the plan. The staff from Mallet School in Farmington, Maine. They are a school that has been participating in the project we have going on here in Maine, where many schools are implementing collaborative and proactive solutions. Mr. Ambrose, please remember that. Collaborative <laughs> and proactive solutions. And, um, well, well, we're going to wait for them to call in and then bring them right on when they do because um, they're going to tell us how things are going in their building and they're going to tell us what they're having trouble with and then the voices of experience will help them out. But until they call in, let's chat a little bit. What do you all have on your minds today? Anything in particular as related to implementing this model in school buildings? I think that the uh, we've had a real breakthrough with this uh, electronic all-sup that I sent you, Ross. Yes. It's been awesome because... Uh, you'll, um, you'll have to keep reminding me to post that on the website because it has already dropped far enough down the inbox to be out of my consciousness. So that's the way to make it happen. It's really improved communication dramatically. So we could fill it out for a problem-solving team meeting, which is where we meet to talk about students. And then it can be shared with team members that may not be able to be at the meeting. It's just a giant thing that we needed to solve, and I'm really psyched about it. I don't know why it took me so long to think of it. Um, It's a Google Doc, so you can copy it and share it with staff members on a need-to-know basis that work with the students, so it's within FERPA. It's pretty incredible. Well, it's edited online. Uh, Federal Education Rights to Privacy Act. So uh-huh. if you're working to help a student work, if you're working to help a student solve problems, and let's say the gym teacher, the art teacher, or the music teacher in our building, that's where we struggle, 
if they couldn't be at the meeting, they could look at the notes. And we're just starting to break through to doing that. But at least I have, I have solved the problem. Now I have to work on the systemic communication. But it's a huge, very exciting step. Systemic meaning letting people know that it's there, eh? Yeah, letting yeah, letting every everybody know that uh, that or or sharing how to use it once they get it again because it's a different way of communicating for us. It's really exciting. Okay, it's, it's now making it into the list of things that I have to do for the website, and it's it's in there. We'll see when it happens. We'll find out. All right, that's actually a fairly easy one, um, but. <laughs> We will see. Carol, anything to report in your building? Uh, no, we've. Um, what I'm excited about is we've got uh, a few uh, new staff getting interested in the ALSEP and using the process. I uh, I lent the book to a kindergarten teacher a couple weeks ago, and uh, then she emailed me on the weekend to say that she'd like to sit down and chat about a particular student, and I said. You know, I'd really like to try out this tool that, um, you know, from the book that uh, that I lent you. And she she emailed me back right away and said, "I actually know what you're talking about when you say the ALSEP. I'm so excited." <laughs> so, working on, uh, you know, just exposing more people to the tool. Um, I feel like I'm. It's wearing thin now. Me saying that I'm in a new school because it's already March, so it's not so new anymore. So, I'm really trying to uh, make sure, just like your things get pushed down the inbox, some things get pushed down the front of the mind list, but I'm definitely, um, you know, working to keep the, the model alive and keep the, some of the tools and processes going in the school here. Um, the goal, of course, is to have ALSEP be to understanding kids become like something like, you know, Kool-Aid or Kleenex. You know, Kleenex <laughs> is a brand that, you know, what, what are you reaching for? Not the tissue, the Kleenex. So right. the goal is, you know, 20 years from now to have people say, um, what are you doing with the kid? I'm doing an ALSEP, and they'll know exactly what you're talking about. Wouldn't that be cool? That's right. That's right. Or is um, there an ALSEP in that kid's file? Why, yes, there is. There you go. <laughs> right. Um, you haven't done an ALSEP yet? Um, Got to do an ALSEP. Exactly. Um, and, and how do you make that routine? Uh, uh, the folks from Farmington still haven't called in, so we'll continue our discussion. How do you go about making that routine? Is that, Mr. Ambrose, something that is sort of standard operating procedure now in your building, or is it still something that depends on somebody saying it or thinking of it? We're almost there. It's part of our student assistance team referral. We call it the PST, the problem-solving team. But when our team meets, it's part of the referral document. So if you're not if you're referring for an, an, an academic need, such as uh, uh, reading or writing, and there are no behavioral concerns, then you may not fill out the ALSEP as much. Although I have been pushing people to talk about that, and that's a whole other conversation. But the the, se the second part is that if you're referring for a behavioral concern, then you would fill out the ALSEP, and it is an expected part of our paperwork. So. Um, it's funny, just about six months ago, it started to be that it just showed up, filled out. I'm not having to say it as much. I find that I have to say it more when I'm working. I was working with a couple of people around um, working with a, a student with some challenging behaviors today and a parent who isn't quite 
we're not in sync about our point of view. And, and so I, I, I reminded the teacher, I said, you know, we're going to meet with this parent, but we're really just going to do whole group collaborative problem solving. We're going to ask them their concerns and perspectives. Whole, whole group what? Collaborative problem solving. Like a group. We do it as a I, I Something I've always done is just work on it, this model in, in a group. He, he missed it, Carol. He, he cannot get yeah, it out he of his head. It. Oh, he missed it. Sorry. Whole group collaborative <laughs> and proactive solutions. Can I just say CPS? It's way easier. Of yes. course. All right, great. So doing some whole group CPS, it's, uh, you know, it was great because what we strategized about was what our legitimate, what our concerns were, and we focused on what we could control. And then we, we agreed in the meeting to start off by hearing the parents' concerns so that they would feel heard. Um, so it just goes back to sometimes the reminding is more about just applying the, the fundamental principles to different situations. And... Um, you know, one advantage that comes to mind for me of doing that is that, Carol, I know in your school system, by design, and i got to tell you, this doesn't make that much sense to me, but maybe there's a good reason for doing it, principles get shuffled around periodically. Yes. And when principles get shuffled around periodically, and, I, you know, it would be an interesting discussion what the rationale for that is cuz I'm having trouble thinking of a good one but you might you might have something but if the principal gets something in place but change and how kids are being treated in that building yep. are dependent on that principal that principal is the eye of the hurricane then once the principal leaves the building things that we're going well, often fade away, which is why, and Mr. Ambrose knows this well, I should call you Tom just to be consistent here, um, if, if we don't integrate this model into the existing way of doing things, then there is some chance it will disappear if the next building administrator isn't familiar with it and does things a different way, which Absolutely. For me, is the best reason to make this the ALSA part of the standard paperwork. Um, but is there a good, is there um, some rationale for why to move principles around so often? Well, the fundamental reason behind it is that we are a huge district in our area, and when there are, as there tend to be, annually retirements. Um, they precipitate a whole domino effect of movement. And I don't know, I mean, sometimes there is kind of a, a community or cultural reason for, for moving, you know, whether things, a, per, a certain person's skill set is in need at another school where they might be going through some trying times perhaps. But a lot of the time it's simply, you know, um, they have a big board with everybody's names on it, and if, you know, if some people are retiring, say, three or four or six people retire at the end of a school year, then the shuffling all begins. But I do believe that the process is thoughtful, but it's not really necessarily motivated by what's best for the, for the school or the kids at that time, but it's kind of a fact of our life here. Hmm. See, here it's more, it, there are many complicating factors, but I think that, that 
there are a number of things that principals think about when they decide to, to switch schools or make a different choice. I mean, it could be a variety of things. Um, Maine such a rural, large state. Uh, it could be your commute. It could be money. It could be vacation time. It could be um, um, the community that you work in or the, the, uh, the, the, the values. could be just that you move uh, levels. So, you know, I worked in the middle school for a number of years, and I wanted to work in K2 or K3, and I did that. I'm sure my next job will probably be something more in the 4 or 5 range. Or I, I just think that, that sometimes people... Um, I think you know that's the the kind of like the the surface level answer, but the the reality is is that principals typically, if there are two types of principals, there are managers who come in and just do the paperwork and sign things off and make sure that the building is running from a management perspective, right. and then there are principals who are change agents who actually come in and and work with staffs and make changes. And and I you know I've never met a principal, maybe one or two that could make huge levels of change in a staff and, and, quote, survive that. So in other words, the relationships stay intact because if you, if you right. look at, you know, uh, I was at a conference recently and this one, one principal was saying, you know, uh, there was a study where six people were told if they didn't change their diet, they would die and all six died. I didn't read the research, but I'm just saying that the, the point is they I didn't change laughed, their diet because change is so hard. That's not what I expect you to say. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying the change is so hard. You know, change is hard for all of us. And I think that sure, principals who make huge mandate, changes. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, you're Pri right. I mean, and change change is part of our mandate. It's part of the expectation of of the role is that we're we're leading our school through the transformation of whatever it may be policy, curriculum, uh, pedagogy. Um, you know, new understandings about how children learn. Uh, through difficult situations that arise, and and uh, yeah, it's it's a huge part of of the role. And what we find here is that um, when you go when we're moved into schools, and we don't, you can. I mean, principals and vice principals here can request transfers, but a lot of times, um, even if you say, "I'd really like to stay at the school," things are going well. It's just we need you somewhere else. So. Um, it, it can be tough coming into a school knowing that that the you know the span of your time there may be generally three to six years. Three is at the very short end, and it can be difficult. And and you know to be able to if you were to go in knowing that you were going to be there for a longer time, it would help to to plan and pace some of the things that you want to do. But a lot of times we just don't know. So you know having left a school where um, you know the work of collaborative and proactive solutions was, was happening and there were some staff there who were quite um, uh, attached to the model. Even some of those staff now have left the school and so, you know, whether the students there are still getting the benefit from that um, point of view and perspective and way of, of looking at challenging behavior, I don't know. But I all I really can worry about is where I am now and, and trying to have that um, change happen here so that students can get the benefit of all of the um, positive attitudes and collaborative structures that it comes with. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think the biggest thing I'd like to see is that the changes that I've made at any school that I've been at would outlive me. So that would be a, a real definer of success, and it's really hard to know because once you leave, you don't know what happens. But I, I think that, you know, we've changed a lot here. We've changed the reading programs, the writing programs. And we've implemented um, 
collaborative and proactive solutions. And we've also uh, uh, just done a lot of hard work to, to kind of get our structure up and running. And um, it's hard to say, you know, if the principal who comes in after me is, is uh, a very different person. I don't know what would or wouldn't survive, you know. Um, I hope that the staff would push back and say, well, that's just not how we do things. But I would hope that they would have an interview process that would continue the work. That would be my, my hope. Right. Well, I think because this work is based on philosophy, like it's based on a, I mean, it's based on research, but it also has to be your belief about kids, right? It comes mm -hmm. down to that foundational, what you believe about kids. And so if someone else comes in and doesn't hold that belief, it can be really hard. Like you said, unless enough other people have taken it past the tipping point where it's not just each person's belief, but it becomes the school's belief. And if that can endure, then, then you've done something really special. Exactly. I've just got an email telling us that Mallet School had the wrong call-in number, so they now have the right call-in number, and I expect to be hearing them from them any minute. But just before they do, uh, it, um, it remi I'm reminding myself that we have some emails that we could respond to, and I'm going to take this first one. Um, uh, it says, "Hi, Doc," and this is from educators, and this is the only program of the month anymore. So we. Um, um, and we'll see if Mallet School actually calls in. Now I'm seeing emails suggesting that they might not. We will see. Um, here's an email. Hi, Dr. Green. I'm a teacher, uh, and as at one of your trainings in Vancouver, we have a CPS team that meets once a week, and I'm working on a few students in my class with some amazing success. That's good to know. To be true to the model, I know you are supposed to go through all the lagging skills and unsolved problems, before deciding which one to choose and prioritize. I'm finding that this takes so much time, and I want to do it on, a, on more than one student. I'm wondering if we as a team can focus on the one unsolved problem that seems to be creating the most difficulty for a student and just get started. I see that you are having difficulty with, until, instead of waiting until we go through the entire list and do an entire ELSIP, what is the danger to doing it this way? It seems like it would save a lot of time, and like you said, some of the unsolved problems get solved at the same time. This happened with our current case study. Once we got to the bottom of a couple of unsolved problems, many of the others are now non-existent. So I wonder if listing them at all was necessary. If you could shed some of your expertise on my question, we would appreciate it. Another question someone in the group had was around grouping the unsolved problems into categories like executive function. What is the danger to doing this? And I'm going to take a crack at that one first because I get asked those questions a lot. Um, clumping unsolved problems into categories um, is artificial because many lagging skills could be contributing to the same unsolved problem. And so clumping by lagging skill I actually find to be counterproductive. The LSIP Actually, the original ELSIP, the lagging skills, were categorized by lagging skill. And what I found that people did when that happened is they decided to prioritize by which category had the most checks. And that is actually not a very good way to prioritize anything because, number one, you're not usually prioritizing by lagging skills. You're prioritizing by unsolved problems. And number two, we don't want to have something that is split end up getting clumped. So I took the categories off. But now here's the reason 
you can solve a problem with a kid anytime you want to. Um, you don't have to go through an entire ALSIP to begin the problem-solving process with a student. Totally unnecessary. But especially for the frequent flyers, the kids who are in the school discipline program a lot, it is a good idea to do a full ALSIP for the purposes of prioritizing. Okay. Why, though, not just make a list of unsolved problems? Why do the lagging skills as the prelude to identifying unsolved problems? And the answer is because if you go through the unsolved problems first, then one of two things is going to happen. Thing number one, people are then going to circle back and try to figure out which lagging skills best account for that unsolved problem, and I find that that is going to take up a lot more time than doing it in the reverse direction. Plus, as I've already said, multiple lagging skills can account for the same unsolved problem. So I find that that is actually not the best use of time in our meeting, especially since this email is about time. But here's the biggest downside to doing unsolved problems first. I find that it causes people to spend a great deal of the meeting theorizing about um, the cause of the unsolved problems. And when you start with the lagging skills and come upon unsolved problems through the lagging skills, it leaves no doubt that unsolved problem is at least partially being contributed to by a lagging skill. And the reason that's important is because sometimes many people sitting in the meeting don't believe that. So it is a very powerful way to help <laughs> everybody in the meeting come to recognize that lagging skills are being contributed, that, that unsolved problems are being contributed to by lagging skills. And that is a huge issue when it comes to lenses that people in the meeting are wearing. What do you all think of that? Well, I'm glad you answered that. <laughs> so well and so succinctly. It tied back to what, what Tom was saying about um, focusing on things we can control. Because you're right, when people you know talk about unsolved problems first, then it can be it, what I, in my experience um, in different contexts. But right now, what I'm seeing is a lot of going back to the parents, the parents, the parents, the parents. Well, we don't have any control over the parents, so mm -hmm. let's talk about the things that we can control. Can we control teaching this child? Yep. Can we control the environment that this child is in? Yep. Can we control how we act when we interact with this child? Yep. So let's look at those those things rather than all the external things. Yeah, I think I think Tom, that, anything that, to add? Well, I think it's just I mean, to put it simply, it, I, I was I think I told you a couple of years ago at a conference I was with with you, I just said I kind of walked away thinking, solve one or you solve none. And that's kind of the principle that I apply to the conversations that I'm having when I'm talking about dealing with children who are having um, any kind of problem, behavioral, academic, whatever. You've got to solve one thing at a time. I don't know about you, Ross, but when I get up in the morning, I've got a pretty big to-do list, and I just pick one thing and get it done, you know? Um, sometimes you can solve, but I do think that, that if you choose the right one to solve when working with the ALSA, 
um, sometimes you can solve a few at once because the skills can then be transferred. And so I just think it's also important to look not only at the one that would kind of help the adults the most in the situation, it might be good to consider which one might help the child the most in the situation. Because sometimes adults come together to meet to kind of get their own needs met as much as to meet the needs of the child. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Y'all ready for Maybe another that, one? Did that, did that make up for my, uh, my, my people die if they don't change their diet comment earlier? I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I actually laughed out loud. And then um, here's the, here's a secret: had to mute myself because I was uh, so um, surprised that that was the ending. Um, I, I, me too. We do have what's that? I was just as surprised as you were when I was at the conference. I'm like, you're trying to help me learn about school change, and you're telling me people die if they don't change. <laughs> but it, it, it was. I yeah, think anyway. we now have Mal at school on the phone with us. Oh, uh, great! Let's see. Are we ready? Sure. Hold on. Let's see if the internet connection will permit me to bring them on. Mal at school, are you with us? Hello. Mal at school. Mal at school, you're showing up on my board. <laughs> are we there now? You Hello. are here. Yay. Okay. Yes, we're uh, finally here. You're finally here. We've got about 20 minutes left in the program, so we got time to talk with you. How's it going at Mallet School? Well, we were just processing that a little bit. We have some uh, successes and some bumps in the road, as always, to try to resolve. Tell us Tell us about it. Tell us about your successes first. I think some of the successes that we've had are just uh, being able to enable our staff to have a common language um, to use with the kids in situations. Um, I think that one of the ways that it's really helped us is being able to start Plan B conversations on the fly with kids, realizing that one of, the, one of our biggest hang-ups was how do we work this whole process into a day? Um, and we've sort of been able to let go of that a little bit, I think. And we're using it as sort of another tool in the toolbox. Um, when we catch kids, we'll engage them in a Plan B conversation about what we've noticed. Um, use it to come up with um, use it to come up with plans on the fly that seem to have been pretty successful for a, a decent percentage of our kids. Um, that's not to say that we still don't have kids who we you know, we fill out LSUPs and we're working through Plan Bs and we're working problem by problem um, in the steps or in the process. But uh, it, it seems to help us with, a, what, I guess, what we'll call the plug-and-play um, population, where you just need to come up with something um, not necessarily in the moment because it's, we're not talking about a reactive Plan B, but... Just yeah, a, just a quick fix sometimes is all you need in the kids. The, the beauty of the Plan B is that um, kids are feeling heard and they're not getting in trouble, um, but they're feeling more of the collaboration between a grown-up and, and what their real concerns are. Um, and that can happen pretty quick sometimes. And with our harder kids, I think what we're finding, even if we're not solving some of those deeper issues, we are still creating a strong bond with other um, adults in the building other than classroom teacher a lot of times. And I think that in and of itself is uh, very valuable. So 
you know, I was in a hurry when we brought you on. Tell us who you have in the room there. Who who we got talking to us from Mallet School today? Okay, well, to begin with, um, Tracy Williams, the principal, and we'll go right around. Uh, Eric Nichols, special education teacher. Stacey Augustine, kindergarten teacher. Sandy Jameson, third grade teacher. Brenda Burnell, reading recovery literacy teacher. We have a student teacher, one of our student teachers, Jennifer Tupper, is with us from UMF, and uh, we've had a, had another person here who had to run out the door who may be back, and that's Keith Martin, our assistant principal this year, who has joined our group. Got it. So this is your CPS core group, yes? Yeah, we're missing a couple of people tonight, but we we are, a lot of us are here. We're missing three of our people, I think. Got it. So... Um, before we have you continue with the hard stuff, um, let's get the reactions of our two educator panel members to the time issue and the solving problems on the fly issue, because I'm sure both Carol and Tom went through that. Um, Carol, Tom, any, any feedback, any words of wisdom for our friends in Farmington, Maine? Joe, you want to go first, or? Uh, sure. Um, what I was thinking was um, that there's always that tension between people wanting to know how to do it well and being able to practice and and plan for the conversations versus that takes a lot of time and how do you find that time in your day? Um, so I think if you've got people who are feeling comfortable and confident to tackle some of those, like you call them, the smaller or, or easier concerns. Um, that they can do them on the fly, what I find that helps to build confidence to then take on some of the more difficult ones that you feel you might need to have a bit more of a plan for because you've got some successes and you kind of know, you get that sense of how it feels when it's going right or even if it's going wrong. So that was that was my thought. Tom? Yeah, I think, I think well, that... Let's, uh, let's, see, if the, let's oh. see if the folks in Farmington want to respond to that and then Tom will have you go. Sure, sure. Yeah, I would I would agree with that in my experience that um, I got too hung up on scheduling lengthy meetings with students and found that shorter, more frequent contacts was working better and it does feel good to succeed, so it's sort of success breeds success kind of thing. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that if you choose, sometimes for beginning with this process, if people choose a less intense, uh, maybe less frequent problem to work on the process and they experience some success, they're more likely to buy in. Um, but I also think that, that uh, having the school community have a conversation about ways to support each other in having collaborative conversations is is really important. So, if um, for example we had we had a music teacher who said, hey, you know what, I'm 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 available at at 10:15 uh, to 10:35 or 10:40. I can watch your class during snack and get them out to recess so that you can go talk with that student and have a collaborative and proactive solutions conversation. And so what we did is we just kind of brainstormed as a staff, what size is your school? Right now we're about 460 students. How many staff members? Um, well, 50 typically working with students. Mm -hmm. Do you way. have a? Do you have a? Um, so are you averaging about 
five to four teachers per grade level team? Are you K five? Yeah, we're uh, we're actually K to three, and we have yes, uh, somewhere between four and six teachers at a grade level. Okay, so you have some you have some band like uh, a group that's moving through. Right. Yeah, it's important to think about because I think that. Uh, um, Sometimes if you have a team of four or more, you can kind of coordinate supporting each other better than a smaller team because there's just, even though there are less kids, there are just less people to physically cover things. Right. So uh, we, we've had people give up their recess duty and share with someone else so that they can have longer conversations. And I, I do feel that longer isn't always better. It just depends on what the need is. I mean, there are sometimes when a child needs a, an even longer conversation with the guidance counselor or social worker using this model, and then it's a more therapeutic setting than a than a, a problem solving setting in the classroom. But both have benefits because no matter what, both processes improve the relationship between the child and the adults at the school. Yeah, I would I'd have to piggyback on that by saying our guidance counselor is a member of our group. She doesn't happen to be here right now, but I know that this has become her frequent method of communicating with kids. So it's just become the automatic uh, way to approach students in those conversations. So it's sort of become the norm there. Oh, that's great. You know, one thing we did is we made a little tip for you all is just that we made little laminated cards that had uh, um, the, uh, the, the three steps with a small explanation of each step. Yeah. And we put them in everyone's boxes, and teachers started using them to refer to so that they could follow the steps quickly. That's great. That's a great idea. Simple idea, just hand them out. We told them, use them as bookmarkers. It's okay, just have them around, you know? <laughs> and they did, and they, they would use also them. Now, there's also now on the Lives in the Balance website a drilling cheat sheet. Oh, yeah, that's With great. a description of the eight drilling strategies. Um, and examples of each, and that you'll find that in the resources section, the paperwork section of the resources section. It's the drilling cheat sheet, and getting lots of good feedback on it already. I often in my talks only talk about five drilling strategies, but there are actually eight drilling strategies, and the drilling cheat sheet is right there in the paperwork section in the resources section of the Lives in the Balance website. Mallet, tell us what you're still struggling with. Besides, besides time and the whole proactive piece, what else is still making this hard? I think being consistent, um, which coincides with the time factor too, but being able to see children on a consistent basis where it actually seems to make a difference. So, um, and I think too, uh, one of our challenges has been that we've, we've tried to take our toughest kids and work with them. And we've, we've realized, and we were just talking about it today, that uh, we need to ease up on ourselves and, and back down from that a little bit. So, um, and just, you know, fix the easier ones first sort of thing, as, and then we gain more confidence and, and more practice in it. Tom, Carol, any words yeah, of wisdom? I, could, I, could I respond to that one? I, I think it's really, Go ahead. really important for that core team to um, 
be comprised of a few people who are kind of on the fence, not necessarily naysayers, in a, in a, a group of people who are really supportive of implementing the change, and then having those people have success. So if, if one person in the group has a success, they share it with the others in the group, because that core group is where you start to get the spin in the culture of the school, um, people talking positively about the model and how to utilize it. I think that's really important um, because the core group is kind of the nucleus for um, everything to grow from. And, and I hope that, that, that it sounds to me like you have an awesome core group team, but you might want to consider pulling in some of those on-the-fence people to be a part of the team if you can reach out to them and get them to do it. I know it's hard because it's volunteer and it's after school or whatever, but it's always nice to kind of get some of those on-the-fence people to have some successes because they're the ones in the teacher's room who are saying, hey, you know what, I tried the, CP the CPS thing the other day and I actually got some, you know, the kid actually it got better. And when they say it, their colleagues are like, oh, really? So what's up with that? You know, what's going on? Um, just something to think about, I guess. Yeah, that's a great idea. And I, I will add something I had forgotten about that was a positive. After we went to the conference in Portland, we came back and we created a two-part presentation for the staff using a variety of things we had picked up there and some things that we had gotten more strongly understanding and presented that to the staff and we had great positive feedback. I think now what we need to do is also share some of the positive interactions with kids and, and some of the snapshots um, that we share with each other in this group, but we probably need to put those out there routinely at staff meetings and let people know what's happening as a result of our work more. Yeah, we actually had a teacher record herself doing a Plan B conversation, and then she played the recording for the staff and asked for feedback. Okay. That's when it started to really move the building forward because people heard their colleagues having the conversations, and they heard them struggle with it and, and risk and, right. and build relationships. It was really powerful. Can I ask a question about the conversation that you had with your music teacher offering up um, her recess time? Sure. How did that conversation come about? Was that born out of necessity, or is that just the music teacher recognizing a need and, and saying, hey, I'd like to offer up my time? Um, or was it, it, that something where she was approached and, hey, we, we need your help kind of thing? Oh, she just offered it up. She's, she's kind of she's a leader that way, but I think it, it really what it came out of is we were, you know, it's like any change in a school requires one part expectation, one part support, and one part um, resource finding, you know, so it's kind of like balancing support and pressure. So we got to the point where our entire staff was trained in, in the model of, of uh, collaborative and proactive solutions, and we basically, uh, uh, once everyone was trained, I, you know, I, I, I got the small group team to buy in, then everyone was trained, because everyone agreed that they thought it would be worth learning. And then it kind of surprised them when I said, okay, so now we need to do this three times a week for 15 minutes. How are we going to do it? They were kind of like, well, wait a minute. We thought this was just kind of for us to use as we wanted to. And I said, well, not really. I mean, it's, it's something that's used if we, if, when we need to. And we always have needs. So if we can find 15 minutes three times a week each, we're going to have to work together to do that. And so then they, they did kind of, at that point, we built enough forward momentum so that in the staff meeting we spent less time kicking back about it and more time focusing on um, how we're going to do it. And that's when some of the ideas came up about, 
you know, sharing duty time or recess time or, or a variety of different ways. Some people just chose to have lunch with their kids. I didn't put any limits on when the 15 minutes happened. I just said it has to happen three times a week. How are we going to do it? Okay. And then the music teacher offered up her time to help out. That was just one of the ways. There were many things that came up. Okay. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. That's a very difficult question to answer because it's a lot about school culture. Yep. Maybe the best thing to do at this point with only about four minutes left, Mallet School, you've got some experienced hands here at implementing CPS in a building. I know you've had supervision from some of the folks that work with me, and I've come out and visited a few times and have been happy to and would be happy to come out again. But You've got some experienced hands here besides me. Any other questions that you all have for either Tom or Carol? Things that are hard, things you're struggling with, things you're wondering about, and how they did it? No, I think we, we have kind of been poking along and problem solving and feeling like each time we learn something, we, we move forward more strongly. The tips you just gave us were a couple of good ones, though, so I appreciate that. Um, any Anybody else here have a question we can pose to them? Do you get, I guess one other thing would be just do you get parents involved at all in this process, and if so, what degree to what degree? Let's let Carol take that one first, and then we'll have Tom finish it off, and then we'll see if we have any time left. Carol? Um, it's for me in, in the way that we're implementing it, um, it's not a, a de facto part of, of the process. It depends on the nature of the student, the nature of the concern. Um, you know, uh, what I found is when, when oftentimes the concerns are coming to my attention, um, from parents. And so then it's a natural to say, well, let's, you know, they want to come in for a meeting to talk about X, Y, or Z. And so then it's natural to, to have them being part of the process and explaining what we're going to be doing. Um, other times, if we're, if we're addressing the concerns through just our school-based team and, you know, it's something that's kind of just being addressed as part of, a, you know, a conversation between the student and the teacher, um, then it's not necessarily part of it. So it, it, for us, it really depends on the context of the concern, the student, and, and um, you know, the, the role that the parent might have to play in that. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Tom, want to throw your own two cents in there? Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, the, 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 the parent piece, we, I actually had a, a parent tell me the other night, you know, I had the, the, your little card that you gave me on my, um, my pin board in my kitchen, and my son was struggling with something for the last four or five days. And he finally stopped and looked, and he said, "Mom, you're supposed to be in the empathy step. You're not supposed to. Um, you're not supposed to tell me what to do right now. You're supposed to listen to me and show me that you care about what I have to say." And this kid was had been out of my school for over a year. Wow. So we right. we we really got parents involved, and I need to do a better job of that right now. Um, but I but I've given the book to parents. I talk with parents. I've referred parents to therapists who use this model. I work very collaboratively with parents. Um, because I, I really do believe that, that um, although we can't fix the parents at home, we can reach out to them and allow them to be a very important part of the process, which can actually, ironically, open the door for things to get better everywhere. Mm -hmm. 
it's a great idea, just sending those little cards along. We have a kindergarten screening coming up soon, and we've been trying to think of ways to engage parents differently. Um, that might be a nice starting point. Oh, they love to hear about it. And please, if you guys, I'm right in Freeport. Feel free to give me a call. I'd be happy to, to talk with you or support you all in the work that you're doing. I think it's wonderful. Great. Thank you. And, and here, here's the nice thing. Um, we've got numerous schools in the state doing it well, Tom's being one of them, but in Durham, in Bar Harbor, none of them especially close to Farmington, but none of them super far away. Um, so if you all are ever struggling, um, we have principals you can call to ask for help. We have schools you can visit to see how they're doing it. It's a nice setup. Um, unfortunately, we are now out of time for today. So Mallet School, we appreciate you calling in. Tom and Carol, we as always appreciate you doing this. Mallet, if you would like to do this again, just let us know, and we'll give you even more time than what you got today. Um, All right. But on that note, we need to call it a day. Thanks, everybody. It was a Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Thank you.